I'm grateful too for Bobby. Um, my word of encouragement to you all is that when he comes to ask for help, your answer is yes. Very simple. Pray with me as I begin the message. <laughs> Jesus, I'm talking about politics this morning. So, <laughs> holy cow, would you please help? Um, yeah, just help us to see how you navigated politics and when it becomes personal and how you talked about it, how you led your people into opposition, confrontation, human systems of dominance and tyranny and how you might help us as a faith community in that this morning. Amen. <laughs> so my preparation for this morning's message began like this a couple of weeks ago. Dear friends, this is an email I wrote. I'm giving the teaching in two weeks and I'm looking for your help slash input. The topic that we as pastoral staff had chosen some months ago for these next couple of weeks was politics. Ugh. <laughs> we were staring down at the moment I was sending this, the impeachment trial and the Iowa caucuses. It seems an important topic right now, but I'm struggling. Destructive self-absorption rules, opposition is chaotic, governmental institutions appear powerless, and there's no place to run and hide because A, we're not supposed to do that, <laughs> And B, the consequences of our current bad behavior are global. But every day is re-traumatizing, and we don't know when this will all end or if we'll ever revert to something approaching decency again. So I'm asking for your thoughts. As we've wondered before, what do we do? How do we respond? How do we bear up specifically? And then I asked these five questions. And they're on the handout. They're at the top of the handout that you have. <clears throat> Uh, that you should have received when you came in this morning. If you don't have one, you can raise your hand. I think there are copies in the room. No, no more copies? Wow. All right, so share. <laughs> to save paper. Uh, <laughs> I was heartened, as in, in my strugglings, by some of the immediate responses I received from people. Is it too late to change the topic? Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Corey. I can see why you're daunted. I'm struggling with these questions. If I left the answer to a question blank, it's because I don't know what to say. Let me preface all of it, what I'm about to write, by saying I have no clue. All right. So I, as I was experiencing my own struggle, was in a similar quandary to others, to those to whom I reached out. These were friends of faith, both in the church and not. And let me make it clear, too, that as I wrote this email, as I sought help in talking about this topic, this was not a demographically representative sample. It was not an equal airtime endeavor. I experience being beaten down and, I would say, traumatized regularly as I experience those in power harming people and groups of people and things like my planet that I deeply cherish. 
on a daily basis. I feel powerless to do anything about it, and I watch in dismay as those mechanisms that are meant to contain and constrain those in power are systematically dismantled. And so I was looking for help as a person of faith in this endeavor. Because my struggle is what I've found is that the way faith has come to me and Christianity has come to me across time has often made me feel constrained. Has often tried to constrain the way that I think, feel, and want to behave as I engage with this reality. And so I feel bottled up, frustrated, controlled. And so I was looking for help from these friends of faith, mostly folks who I anticipated would be having at least a somewhat similar experience to me in politics today as we know it. Now, I was surprised by the responses. I wrote to busy people who, you know, like all of us are doing things, and so I'm expecting to receive back sort of either, I don't know, good luck with that, or some sentence fragments, you know. But people were generous with their thought, time, effort. They wrote back lengthy responses, full of wrestlings and uncertainty, but also full of wisdom, good things. And so because it was way more than what I could ever present on a Sunday morning, and to honor their efforts, and also just to show you what's in your midst, what's in this faith community, I prepared, and this is just excerpts, right? Double-sided, single-spaced, ten-point font, filling both sides of the page. This is just excerpts from the people to whom I wrote, my faith friends, and what they said back to me. I just wanted you to see what's in your community. You know, there's even a prohibition so much today against just talking about what we are experiencing in the world of politics as we know it. But these people are sitting next to you in the room here. They have deep thoughts. They're wrestling. They're anxious. They're uncertain. They have ideas. You and I can actually be a community of faith where we talk about this, right? Where we're not alone, where we're not afraid to ask the questions and wrestle. So given that, we're going to go into a Bible story, as we do every morning, that I think is actually helpful in this regard. Interspersed in the story will be some comments from these friends of faith. And then we'll see if, we'll see if we have anything helpful. Because I, I don't perceive that the world as we know it is going to end anytime soon. That it's all of a sudden going to become nice and easygoing. I think what we're experiencing in the realm of politics will continue to play out over the weeks and months. So the story itself <clears throat> is from the account of the life of Jesus as told by Mark. It's near the end of his time on earth before he goes to the cross. It's from chapter 10, verse 32, begins like this. <clears throat> they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. So the they's and the them's. The they's, I'm pretty sure, are the friends of Jesus, his close associates, followers, disciples. 
They're walking along the road to Jerusalem, and they're followed by some other people, maybe admirers, well-wishers, hopefuls. And they're experiencing this mix of emotions, right? Some are amazed. They're excited. They're sort of anticipatory. Others are frightened. And I think it's because of what they expect will happen when they get to Jerusalem. They're going there for the festival, the the most holy day of the year, the big celebration. I think they also expect something of a showdown. So the people of Israel have lived since forever, uh, oppressed, subjugated to some power who is not them, who exerts dominance over them. Now it's the Romans. They don't like that, but they feel powerless to help except that God has promised in writings of old that God would send a hero to save them, to rescue them from this plight. God has identified some characteristics of this hero who would come. And so some people have begun to see Jesus as that person. There are signs, there are indicators. So they're hopeful. We're going to Jerusalem. It's the capital building. It's not just the center of religion. It's the center of civil things. The center of governance, the center of power, the center of subjugation. And so the hope is that Jesus is the one who's going to show up. And when he comes there, we're going to have a confrontation. And this time we're going to win. It's going to get better. We're going to take over. We're going to be the ones in charge. We're going to do it right. The fear is that Jesus is not the first. He's one in a line of individuals who have had hallmarks of being the hero. And people get excited and people support and people are hopeful because hope is better than despair. And maybe this time... But all the others have been squashed. All the others have been suppressed. All the others have come to nothing. And those who rose up in help to support the putative hero have come to a bad end. All right? So this is the mix of emotion as this group of people is marching with Jesus to Jerusalem. Jesus feels it. He detects it. And so he has has a little preparatory conversation. It goes like this. It says, Jesus took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over. The word for hand him over really means kind of collude with or betray him to. The Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. (laughs) So, So Jesus says, just to be clear as we go up to Jerusalem, I know you have an anticipation, a thing you hope will happen of empowerment and liberation, I want you to know that as we confront the systems, they are all going to gang up on me and us together and they are going to win. Right? It's not going to go like you hope it'll go. We're not going to win the election. We're not going to become the next ruler. 
We're not going to somehow magically subvert things and wrest power away and in a dramatic display, take charge. (laughs) They're going to do what they want to us and none of it's going to be good and they're all going to be together. And So one of the comments that came to me from one of my friends of faith was, I think it is always helpful to name the troubled waters we're swimming in right now. Even if none of us has a perfect grasp of what is so toxic about it or even what caused it to be so toxic in the first place, I think most of us feel confused and lost, which is good to just validate. So that's what Jesus seems to be trying to do, to set reasonable expectations. And in response, James and John, two of the disciples, say this. So this is verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and then one of the other accounts, which I'm, I'm assuming is a little more, I don't know, fully fleshed out, they're accompanied by mom. So James and John are two brothers, and they're marching along with Jesus. Their mother accompanies them. They come forward to Jesus and say to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Right? It's like those of you who are parents, your child comes to you and hands you a check from your checkbook. And they say, please sign this. Jesus asks the appropriate question. Jesus said to them, what is it you want me to do for you? How much money are you going to write that for? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. (laughs) Now, they clearly have not been listening to Jesus. It's not the first time he made this dire prediction And when they say in your glory, they don't mean in some future far-off heavenly state. They mean like next week when you've taken over. You see, their vision is that they are going to, in this system of dominance and submission, where a few rule over the many, they are just going to become one of the few. They are going to take over. They anticipate Jesus rising up, Jesus being the next super powerful leader. And so they, of course, want to get the seats of power right next to him. You know, this is their aspiration. This is their understanding of how what's wrong will be made right, of how injustice will be transformed into justice. That it's, we will inhabit the system as it is, but just because we're good, because we're well-motivated, because we know what's right, and we know how to do it, and we've been you know, on the wrong end of this deal, when we take over, we will do it correctly, but it'll still be the same system of a few people of power ruling over the many. There's one comment that came to me from one of my friends of faith. I keep hoping that my side can win, but is winning really winning? Sometimes I have thought that we need a real strong man bouncer in Washington to destroy the way it was and usher in a just government. In all honesty, I would sooner go in with my fists and knock some heads together really, really hard. (laughs) Right? I mean, there's that aspiration as we engage with this system, as we wrestle with it, like, oh, we just need the right people in charge. Then everything will be better. Jesus responds to them. 
It says, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? It's like a tongue twister. They replied, we are able. We're up for it, Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. That's kind of (laughs) like the disciples think Jesus has taken them out for donuts. And so they go to him and say, we want the ones with sprinkles. And Jesus says, yeah, you can come with me. But then he leads him straight past the donut shop to the foot of the state capitol where the protest against injustice is occurring and hands them the biggest protest placards. <clears throat> so, so the story goes on. These two and their mother have gone to Jesus in advance, scouting out the best seats of power at the table, and the others catch wind of it, and they are not happy. It says, when the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. Right? Oh, we were going to do that, but you got there first. So Jesus called them and said to them, so Jesus has another conference, like another conversation to explain things. Here's where we get to the crux of the matter. Jesus said to them, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So let me read that again. You know, now when Jesus says Gentiles here, I don't think he's like making a distinction between how Gentiles and Jewish people do governance or systems of authority. I think Jesus is just saying at the top of this chain of command are people who are not us. You want what they have. So that's to whom I'm referring. You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I think one of the complicated things that happens for some of us as Christians is we we have a lot of instructions from Jesus about how to engage with systems of power and those who we with whom we find ourselves at odds. So for example, love your enemy. If someone strikes you on a cheek, turn the other one. Pray for those who persecute you. But here, Jesus, as he's marching in, he does this twice. Those whom the Gentiles see as rulers, those rulers lord it over them, and they're great ones. The ones who they think are super awesome become tyrants, right? The starting place for Jesus in this moment in the conversation is naming what's what. Calling a tyrant a tyrant. 
saying people who come into power misuse it in an abusive fashion. They dominate. And sometimes I think we find ourselves, because of these other instructions of Jesus that are amazing and valid, and that we have to wrestle through, we find ourselves experiencing those as telling us that we can't say what's what. When you see tyranny, you call it tyranny. When someone behaves as a tyrant, you call them a tyrant. You name that. When someone has power and they are using it abusively to dominate, to benefit themselves, you say, that's what's going on. Here's a statement, um, one of the most provocative, from my friends of faith. This is the worst I've collectively seen people behave in my lifetime. Based on my identity as a black woman, I feel more vulnerable and less valued as a citizen of this country than I have previously felt. I've lost respect for family members and old friends who continue to find reasons to support the current president. Their willful ignorance is telling and mostly insufferable, and I don't want to be around them because they're supporting Trump and supporting me and those who share my identities cannot occur simultaneously. So this is a person in our faith community who is saying, systems, sure, but this is personal. What happens affects me. Choices that are made high up, choices that are made close to home. Right? This is not abstract. This is not distant. And the starting place for her as she wrestles through to what to do is, I feel tyrannized. I, experiencing, I experience diminishing because of what's going on in the world around me. Here's another person. I find that I tend to see Christ more readily in the midst of current events when I pay attention to two types of people, those who suffer the most as a direct result of public policies and those who are stepping up to help them with sacrificial solidarity. So the starting place for Jesus in this conversation, too, is naming what's what as they approach the systems that they will encounter in Jerusalem. Now, what's interesting is where he goes from there. Right? <clears throat> because I don't think that Jesus is doing this so that we wallow in deriding. The goal or the end point is not to name tyranny and then sort of revel in that. Jesus does two things in response to this identification. <clears throat> the first thing is that he says, having identified that, having in this case identified what inappropriate use of power looks like, Jesus says first, we don't do that. Having named this for what it is, having named the kind of use of power that you so much want to shed yourselves to be free from, Jesus says, we don't do that. I think he detects the allure of it that his followers would want to be those ones in power, just administrating the system as it is. Jesus says, no, we don't go there. We don't behave that way. And he then says, not just we are different, 
But Jesus says it's valuable to identify what that looks like because it helps us know what to do. And in this case, Jesus says we do exactly, precisely the opposite. Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What a mission statement, right? What a declaration of identity. I didn't come here to be elevated and then to extract from all the people below me. In greatness, if that's what I have, it means I serve everybody. I give. Instead of taking, I give. Instead of dominating, I serve. This is the mission of Jesus, and this is what he brings to his followers. He says, this is who we are. This is what we do. Here's a statement from one friend. I can combat what I perceive to be immoral, unjust, unloving, exclusive behaviors by doing the opposite of what I see. Shift my focus toward inclusion over comfort, open my home to those who need a home, share food, give money to organizations that value what I value, participate in community initiatives that empower the marginalized, listen more and talk less. In a climate where I sometimes feel powerless, there turns out to be a whole lot of action I can take. right so Jesus it's like he's creating this alternate really an alternate community an alternate way of being human together that he's inviting his friends and followers into he's saying as you go into the teeth of this thing as you feel the allure of power as you seek to dominate and control resist that do the opposite stay true to who you are stay true to who we are last two brief thoughts it's done together right we can't do this alone here's a word from a friend i'm committed to singing together to coming to the communion table together to praying together to serving others together to find joy and comfort in sharing a meal with friends being with others in person is an antidote to despair i also look to the larger community people whose pain and frustration under the political system is nothing new And I try to learn from their perseverance and wisdom. People like Austin Channing Brown or John Lewis or Reverend Barber. A community of faith makes it plausible for me to be fully in the world without having to settle with being merely of it. And this is, and the last thing, I, (laughs) this is just an allusion to that toss-off phrase of Jesus, right? (laughs) In his utterance of despair, oh, everybody's gonna win and we're gonna be crushed but I am going to come back to life. Right? It's like that's true. There's something at the end of this all. You and I are in this as a community of faith in God. And it's not a fantasy. It's not a vain hope. It's not something just to make us feel better when it feels really bad. This is from the woman feeling tyranny. God, Jesus has my back. When I think of the miracles God has worked, I know all this insane political blank storm is just a Friday night out for him, her, them. It allows me to take a step back to see the big picture and to remember that regardless of who is elected, God is in charge and it will be okay in the end. 
So I found myself at the end of this all <laughs> feeling reinvigorated, feeling aware of being a part of a community of faith that's marching this out together, being reminded of how I behave in the midst of a system that makes me want to take power or despair, that I keep doing what is good. I keep being true to Jesus. I keep being true to who we are, to putting others ahead of myself, to choosing to listen instead of to talk, to give instead of to take. It's the invitation for you and I, friends, together. The band can come forward as we prepare to shift now. We are called to be this alternative faith community, this alternative human system. We're in it together. However you are experiencing what's going on right now, it's not going to get easier. It's not going to be magically resolved. God is not going to come sweep in and transform our political systems to be what we want them to be. Jesus says, do not become corrupted by it yourself. And stay true to me and true to our values as we go forward together. So why don't you stand? Uh, I'll pray a blessing on us as we prepare for communion. We practice a welcoming form of communion here. If you want to connect with Jesus in a deeper way, be a part of our community of faith in doing that, you're welcome to join us. There's stations at the front, stations at the back. Come by yourself with friends, family. We also have people out in the foyer who'd be happy to pray with you, to bless you for anything, any need that you came in with this morning, or if something I said stirred up a desire for prayer in you. Uh, take advantage of that. Um, so Jesus, we come to you. We pray that we would hear your voice speaking to us. To not become taken over by the system. To stay true to your values, to your way of being. And to know that our hope ultimately is in you being alive, here, present, amongst us. So come for communion as you're ready.